Hi, thanks for tuning in to High on Horror. I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is dedicated to the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Today we're reviewing the disturbing Danish horror film Speak No Evil. John and I have been wanting to talk about this one for a while now and are glad that we finally get to do so. Yeah, that Cuban embargo's up. <laughs> if you're in the U.S., Speak No Evil will be streaming on Shudder on September 15th. With us today, we're sitting down with co-writer and director of the film, Christian Taftrup. Uh, we're going to pick his brain, and he's going to spill his guts to us in an exclusive interview. But to start, we're going to get baked. All that and more today on High on Horror. Interviews, reviews, and the latest news all rolled into one. All right, now it's time for Strain Wreck, the segment of our show where we discuss what strain we're getting wrecked on and current events in horror. John, what do we got today? Uh, well, I feel like it goes with uh, the Robert Downey Jr. theme from last week of uh, Orphan. We, we, we got us some Tropic Thunder. Oh, nice. And, oh, yeah, uh, it's look at it. It's 19% THC. Uh, heavy, says here, on energizing, and uh, it's, it's about mid-level THC. It's a uh, mysterious Maui Wowie cross that exhibits colorful buds and floral aromas. Uh, has moderate potency, but makes it suitable for consuming any time of day. So, you know, like quarter of three in the morning for us. <laughs> <laughs> Offers a mellow and manageable buzz that elevates the mood and alleviates stress. Uh, apparently, its feelings are energetic, giggly, and euphoric. Giggly. <laughs> giggly. That's what it says. Over giggling. And uh, negatives, dry eyes, headache, and dry mouth. <laughs> <laughs> dry mouth. Uh, shit, no, it's beautiful, though. Those orange hairs, man. I'm called Clifford the Big Red Nug. <laughs> That's some nice, nice orange hairs. All right, so here's something I wanted to talk to you about, bro. All right. All right, so uh, we need to get our asses to uh, Universal Halloween Horror Nights. They need to pay us or something. We need to get out there. Uh they announced that they're doing fucking killer clowns from outer space barbecue. Um, the like they 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 released the menu, and uh, it's it's crazy shit, man. Um, you get uh, you can get a pulled pork sandwich, loaded mac and cheese, a shareable twenty two inch all beef hot dog, loaded nachos, funnel fries, acid pie, and specialty cocktails. Acid pie. I, I mean, I know okay. they don't the drug acid, but I'm definitely let me get. A, I would definitely. I don't know if I'd eat it. I want to preserve it. I, I got a fucking pie from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Like you know, it's gonna look like have the foil tray. Like I'm gonna. Need, I'm a nerd. Why like is it that. all? Why, why is it all just pieces of paper? <laughs> I would eat that shit though, dude. Like I don't know. I would. I would love to do that. But I just saw that we love that movie, so I thought we're not sharing that 22 inch all beef hot dog. Though. <laughs> that's not happening. But I. But I guarantee that we could each take one now. <laughs> that's we'd each take that 22 inches. Got it. Anyway, I was gonna say I don't know what's up with Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Like. We got the game coming out now. Now, now there's this like there's toys. There's new toys. It's not coming like out. it's a milestone anniversary either. Like it's 34. It's not like it's 35. Yeah. Like I don't. I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm here for it. So. <laughs> right. I mean, it's about time. We, you and I, grew up with that movie. So to see it like getting its day, like it's that was cool, the first man. clown movie as a kid I saw that didn't scare me for the most part. So my my son Abel, he actually wants to be shorty for Halloween. Like I think I might have told you this, but I was like 
You know, I went over all the costumes with them. I was like, you can be the new Batman, the Battinson, you know, Spider-Man, like all this stuff. And he, he was like hellbent. He's like, I want to be Shorty. So okay. he's going to be Shorty and I'm going to get him like boxing gloves. We're going to do a little boxing glove version of Shorty. But uh, yeah, man, it's awesome. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is uh, you actually just ball. met this man. So you can talk about that if you want. But uh, Kevin Smith confirms that Tusk 2 is in in the works. They are doing a sequel to Tusk 2. Justin Long, apparently at some Q&A, let the beans spill that Kevin Smith was moving forward with production and with the script. Um, Yeah, I went and saw the Clerks 3 debut. Although, it was a little... The one damp... Another dampener on it was... uh, We thought that we were the first people to see it. But his Patreon group got to come for a matinee show, and so he, he was like a full disclosure. People have already watched it before. I was like, God damn it! Like I thought I was going to be like the first person like yeah. in the public to get to see it. But um, yeah, there was nothing about Tusk too. He didn't mention anything because last year we, or I guess two years ago, we went when they did the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and people kept asking about Clerks Three, and he, I mean, he talked about that. I guess maybe. Nobody thought to ask about Tusk too. I mean, it came up a couple times, but maybe he—I don't know. I don't know. But he apparently, after his uh, heart attack, he said that uh, he had the uh, idea with like where he wanted to move forward with the story, and he's just now starting to move on it. So it's not like, greenlit yet or nothing, but like the idea is there, and he's looking to do it. So we and might Red get State it. But, was a good one. Oh yeah, yeah. But I know you know you uh, had talked a lot before about wanting to do a Tusk episode, so maybe it'll be the time to do that with part two coming out. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So, uh, you got, got anything else for me? Uh, no, that's it. Damn, I was expecting more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well, dry this week, my bad. Yeah, I was going to say, well, now it's, uh, we got Screaming Room, and that's, uh, you know, where, where we review things you haven't seen, but we've seen. <laughs> and, uh, we got episode two of 101 Scariest Horror Movie Moments. I think that's the official title. That's it's pretty the official lengthy. title, yeah. That's what she said. <laughs> All right, well, this week we have episode two of 101 Scariest Horror Movie Moments. I mean, it's kind of hard to really uh, go too in-depth without just, like, listing the movies. Yeah, I know. Which ones uh, did you, uh, like, like, particularly like that they mentioned this week? They should, like, as much as I always say that Us was too long, that scene that they, that they picked for it was good. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Jordan my, Peele uh, movie is always like 20 minutes too long. But. <laughs> well, I love that uh, my favorite ghost movie, The Changeling, gets a mention. A Tale of Two Sisters. You know, the list is very diverse. I like that. Yeah, they. Well, we mentioned that for last week's. And they, they, they seem to be going for it uh, still. Like, it's not just, you know, the Hollywood or off Hollywood. I don't know what the, you know, like Hollywood adjacent company. <laughs> yeah. Not, not. I mean, they're they're throwing in some independence, but uh, yeah, you know, like I said, it's kind of hard to just really go through it. I mean, otherwise we're just telling you what the moments are. And yeah, just we can't just list it all. Well, yeah, but we can't say that uh, it is it is well done. I like shows like this, you know, and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about. Yeah, the Bravo about, one was good and yeah. just an updated version of that. Yeah, and uh, like like I said earlier, I uh, I'm looking forward to talking about episode three already. We saw it, but we'll talk about it next week. But uh, it, the show gets better, you know. 
I mean, it's got to, right? It's it's counting down towards the best, so each week got to be better than the last. But it's going it to be, as it gets closer Unless to Unless they the, fuck up the list. That's what I was, But that's the thing. As it gets closer, that's going to be the most, what's going to be number one? Everybody's going to always, it's just like the best football player, the best wrestler. The number one, that's a very hard thing to pinpoint. There's going to be a lot of people who disagree, regardless of if it's Jaws, Halloween. There's going to be people it, who are like, no, think, that's not. You think not. Jaws would be number one? And in the old series, I, th- I think that like Jaws, Alien, and the Exorcist and Halloween and Psycho were like in the top, like the top, like very elite, like single digits. So I think that's probably they should all be in the top ten at least. I think yeah, so. I think that, that those could probably will definitely but be. We in still the top. got geez six more episodes. Yeah. Yep. All right. I think uh, we've rambled on. <laughs> yeah. For two and a half minutes to really tell you just to watch it <laughs> that's uh that's uh streaming this what is it uh wednesday i believe yeah wednesday yep. sorry we're terrible check <laughs> shutter shutter always puts out like their schedule for the month go check it out it'll be th- wednesday or thursday i believe uh i believe it's thursday but it could be wednesday sorry but uh anyway let's get into a horror history the segment of our show where we talk about horror history obviously <laughs> This week in horror history. All right, so uh, we're just gonna we're gonna go through the week today. Nine twelve cabin <clears throat> damn cabin <laughs> fever from two thousand three. Eli Roth's only good film. Sorry. Yeah, I've, it's okay. It's only one Eli Roth on here. Uh, Paul Walker, Paul Walker's birthday. Oh wow. Well, it was his birthday, but he was in Joyride. That was a good movie. Yeah, Rusty Nail. Rusty yeah. Nail. Cotton candy. <laughs> uh, anyway, Hans Zimmer turned sixty-five as well. Yeah, man, he's awesome. Man, he's in, fuck it. He does everything. Every- everything is awesome. There's sometimes where like you don't even know it's him, and I'll be like, "Damn, who scored this?" Oh, it was Hans Zimmer, of course. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think it's got to be between him and John Williams, right? Totally. Or maybe, maybe Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman kind of has more of. I don't know because yeah, Danny Elfman's good, man. Uh, yeah, I really like Danny Elfman. Uh, shit, yeah. I took a little smoke break right there real quick. <laughs> Fuck, where was I? Uh, moving on to the 13th. Uh, Supernatural premiered in 2005. That wasn't really my show. That, that was, wasn't your that show. Was that, yours, was, that was my thing. for a while. The first five seasons that Eric Kripke planned, I loved that show for the first five seasons, and you could tell that it was planned for five seasons. And after that, like season six was so horrible, man. And like, I know there's a lot of people, honestly, it's mostly like, I hate to say it, but it's fangirls and boys. But, uh, you know, they're just, they, they love the character so much that they're like, you know, they're, they're blinded by just like what a step down the show became. Um, I still haven't finished the show. I'm still like on season eight. Um, but I watched season one through five religiously when they came out. I loved the first five seasons. I thought the story arc was beautiful. It was great. Um, and I just don't know how after they ended it, how it just continued so fucking long. But, um, yeah, that's where I stand on that. <laughs> so, uh, you could have said more, I think. Uh, Insidi- <laughs> Insidious Chapter 2. I was never big into the Insidious series. I like them. I like uh, the, the, the three and... Uh, the last key aren't as good as the first two, but that for that first one has that fucking jump scare with uh, that fucking with uh, Darth Maul, <laughs> lipstick <laughs> demon, you know the lipstick demon, but he looks like fucking Darth Maul with a fucking mohawk. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, that 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 scene in the first one's scary as shit. I like the second one too, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I like them. And uh, also, birthday Ronald Dahl. I know you probably like that 
That dude who wrote that James of the Giant Peach. Oh, yeah, man. And uh, The Witches. Hell yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But he also, uh, he wrote a lot of Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes. No shit. I did not know that. Uh, Moving on to the 14th, we have The Predator from 2018. That's the worst Predator film in the series. Worse than Prey. Yeah, definitely. There's Prey. (laughs) Anyway, American Horror Story Roanoke 2016. I once again another series I did not get into. Yeah, I've, I've long stopped watching it. At this I point. so much so look, look looking up the history uh, this week. I was like, they did a series on Roanoke. Like I didn't even remember that. Supernatural. Actually, speaking of Supernatural, they did an episode on Roanoke, and that was a fucking really good episode. And again, that was within the first five seasons. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and totally random on Roanoke when uh, one of the two semesters I went to college. Uh, we had a group project in our pre-Civil War history, and our teacher told us, go ahead, and you can pick any topic. I don't care, as long as it's before the Civil War. <coughs> so me and some other dudes <coughs> in the back were, were just like formed a group, and we're like, oh, we're going to do the col- Lost Colony of Roanoke. Our professor's like, no, like... I would I wouldn't do that. You guys, you guys aren't going to find a lot of information <laughs> on it. And we're like, no, 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 we want to do it. He's like, guys, like, I'm not like, I'm not just trying to be a jerk. Like, I'm trying to like let you know, like, you guys aren't going to be able to do a full project on this. We're like, no, no, no we're going to do it. He's like, fine, whatever. During the presentation, I remember saying, yeah, we couldn't find a whole lot. And he's like, maybe next time you listen to your professor. But in one of the letters we found interesting and uh, made everybody in the class laugh was uh, in the letters written back to England saying they needed more people. They needed to send over women. It said for services. (laughs) That was was basically everybody's reaction. I wonder what that was. (laughs) Anyway. So uh, (laughs) moving on Uh, resident evil retribution from 2012. Yeah, that was where the series of long gone, long gone past. <laughs> yeah, uh, that one, that series dropped pretty prime. quick. Yeah, and uh, this guy's been in some underrated horror movies. Turning seventy-five, Sam Neill. Damn it, he's a fucking legend. Moving on to the fifteenth, we got Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy, he's awesome. He's a fucking amazing actor. Turning turning forty-five, uh, actor here. I just wanted to include because I like him, but I found my loophole was uh, Tommy Lee Jones turned seventy-six. Uh, he was in one horror movie from 1978, Eyes of Laura Mars. Oh, shit. Okay, you're right. You're so, totally so that right. was my loophole. That was your loophole. <laughs> Literally on his resume, there's one horror movie, that's it. Dude, he played a good Two-Face. Yeah. That wasn't a good movie, but he played a good fucking Two-Face. I mean, and they changed race, too. Yeah. Because originally it was Billy D. That's right. <laughs> that's true. And he only took the role because he was promised he was going to get to play Two-Face. Yep. I, I would have been interested to see Billy D. Williams play Two Face. Uh, that's the thing. It's like uh, the, his Joker, his Joker. Damn, I was just, I, my my brain went sideways for a second. His Two Face versus the Aaron Eckhart Two Face. It's like there's a total opposite. You do have like that realistic one and like the Dark Knight. That's like totally like if Two Face existed, and then you have that like literally the cartoon from the page Tommy yeah. Lee Jones, which was fucking awesome. I just wish that his face was like green, like the animated series instead of purple. But besides that he was fucking awesome he was just batshit crazy and uh moving on here to the 16th the outer limits 1963 that oh, was sweet, one man. i saw a lot with my parents as a kid probably obviously i saw more twilight zone but there yeah. was, but there was some outer limits yeah it was always mixed in there for sure street trash 1986 
That's a good movie, good trash exploitation film. Our boy Frank Farrell was uh, inter- we interviewed him earlier. He talked about that. What episode was that? Like two, three, it's four, three. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's three. I think it's three. And uh, you know, potential. Uh, we might have some, you know, more information on future street trash production. Anyway, shh, not yet. Shh. Uh, that 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 that'll be next week, I think. Yeah, we might talk about that next week yeah. a little bit. Anyway, maybe. and then the 2016 Blair Witch. I liked that movie, man. Adam Winger did that. He directed uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, and uh, yeah, I, I liked I liked it. It was Godzilla, a, huh? got a couple got a couple jump scares out of me for sure. And Jennifer Tilly turns uh, sixty four. Like I said before, uh, she. Jamie Lee Curtis and Barbara Crampton, they're my uh, they're my three. They're my three uh screen queens. Psh, you need you need you need you a Heather Langan camp in there. <laughs> Ashley Lawrence, you know, uh Kirstie from Hellraiser, she's a good follow up man, but Jennifer Tilly, that's the thing. She's only really done the Chucky movie. She's not really known for doing a lot of horror, but neither is you know, but she's still she's still she's still hundred percent a scream queen. Yeah. For sure. And uh moving on to the seventeenth year. Uh, debuting in the way back year of uh, 2021, Squid Games came out last year. I still haven't watched I that. I haven't either. But Heard good shit, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's just every time I think about it, I don't know. <clears throat> Maybe I'm missing out. But uh, after that, also, we had a birthday. John Ritter was born in 1948. And it's funny. Yeah, he was uh, Freddy versus Jason. No. No, uh, Bride of Chucky. Bri- Bride of Chucky and It. And it and uh, he put Ben in it, and also um, he uh, was in a couple episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So uh, yeah, he. See, and, we just name it all the television shows I ain't watched. And uh, I you know I I love John Ritterman. Like you know this uh, knowledge nug about me for all you listeners out there. Three's Company is like my favorite TV show of all time. Like I I love that show. So uh, cool that you brought up John Ritter. What was it you had? Uh, I'm trying to think. At your one house, you had you had like a stand or something for it, didn't you? It's like an old like photograph in a frame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, moving on here, finally to the 18th, we have the Adams Family TV show from 1964. Finally, we named a television horror television show I ha- series I have watched. Dude, I love the Adams Family, uh, but but I, the the that's the question you don't get a lot of horror fans nowadays a lot of people skip this shit you know they just jump they don't they don't take time to go back and do their homework because it's old but when you get people like you and i who have seen the adams family and the monsters we get to ask each other that question <laughs> adams family or monsters adams family i'm going monsters yeah you don't want to go down that road <laughs> i thought you were gonna go rob zombie monsters but uh, yeah uh-huh <laughs> now, I, want, I want that spider one adams family He's gonna do the sequel. <laughs> oh man! Just shit come out of zombie, zombie family. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're you're cold. Uh, anyway, where were we at? Here we go. American Horror Story 1984 and 2019. Still didn't watch. I it. saw a couple episodes and they weren't big, but I feel like that's just what American Horror Story. That was that Horror slasher Story. one, right? Like when yeah. did the slasher series. Nicole watched it and tried to get me to watch. She tries to get me to watch. I feel like every time. It's you get halfway through the season and I'm just like it's okay, but it doesn't like hook me to come back. But it's not like for the most part bad. Yeah, I feel you. It's just it's okay, and I have no interest to like continue watching. Yeah, right. 
uh, a favorite of ours from 2015, Cooties. Oh man, I love that movie. One of, the, one of the better horror comedies of the of the last decade. Dude, hilarious movie! My God. Uh, turning fourteen, Jackson Robert Scott. Fourteen. I met him. Remember the right? pictures of him, dude? He's a little fucking boy. Fourteen. And he's already done what the uh, Prodigy. And he's on uh, Lock and Key. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's he stayed busy for sure. Yeah, he probably probably make it way more money than us. <laughs> probably shit. He gets paid more per episode than we do like a year, probably. <laughs> Good <laughs> lucky, for him, though. lucky little bastard. No, I'm just kidding. Good <laughs> make luck, a bank dude. at fourteen. Good for you. Hell yeah! All right, now it's time for that PPA. <laughs> puff puff ass. The segment of our show where you know. Blah, 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 blah. You just write in questions. We answer them. Social media, website. Where else? I think, I think that's it. Social email. media, website, <laughs> email. <laughs> we're, we're high. We're high. Are you surprised? <laughs> All right. So this question comes from Dick from La Crosse, Wisconsin. He asks, I like this question, actually. He asks, what do you guys think got the worst remake? And uh, my first thought it was my first thought when I read that question was holy shit because there's so many that came to mind. Sure, I already got an answer. Um, <laughs> you know, as soon as this recording ends, I know that I'm going to think of one that I'm going to say, "Damn, that should have been the one I say." But I'm going to go with Prom Night. I mean, there's some really bad ones though, but Prom Night to me was the one that I'm just like I got nothing out of it. Like even Rob Zombie's Halloween, which I really dislike, I could be like, okay, that kill was nice or whatever. I can stack. There was nothing in Prom Night that was redeeming. <clears throat> Yeah, I'm just saying Rob Zombie's Halloween. That's an easy one. <laughs> Rob Zombie's no, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Um, oh, I love how I you just, call him Cat Freddy. Yeah, looking like Courtney Cox looked in Scream 5. Oh, okay, that's fucked up. I should have said that. Um, fuck, I just lost the one. I keep I'm too high. Black Christmas. Oh, yeah. Which that one, one was... Not the... Not the uh, Bart Simpson skin one from 2006, right? The, you're talking about the newer one about the, yeah. the female fraternity. Yeah, that one was bad. I still haven't seen it. Oh, jeez. The Inside remake, the Martyrs remake, Cabin Fever, that like modern one that came out like two years ago that was just so fucking unnecessary. House on Haunted Hill. I know, yeah. I know people like that, but yeah. Nicole. Uh, <laughs> but she keeps trying to get me to watch it. I can never like make it through. Yeah, well. Check it out, man. You make her watch enough shit. <laughs> anyway, so that was easy. I mean, I think we can all agree it's Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> but moving on to Kitty Kills from Instagram. I hope he really ain't killing kitties. I'd be <laughs> fucked up. Or maybe she's a kitty that kills. I don't know. That's maybe. Anyway, have you guys made your Halloween watch list yet? I haven't. Uh, I, I got to eventually get around to that. But I've been, been on a writer's block if you will i've told you for like months yeah. I'm like i don't know how what I, what what theme i want to put to it this year yeah i feel you um i'm trying to remember or you last year you did decades and i did uh you did genres i or, did like uh, genres of like psychological slasher yeah, yeah. I just yeah, picked like a bunch of sub genres. Like, every week it was a different like topic. And the or year something. before that for me was franchises, but I had to, <laughs> I had to cut them short. There's a lot of uh, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. It'd be like half of my uh, watch list would be there. You said Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, you'd get through the Friday the Thirteenth and the Halloweens and be like, yeah, let's call it a day. That's that's about it. I went eight. Close. I stopped it after uh, 
properly where it should be stopped manhattan oh nice yeah i haven't made my list yet uh seriously about like in like july i started making my list and i came up with like 28 movies and i was trying to make the list like with my wife so like she would agree with the movies and stuff um and like go over which ones i had to watch alone like the exorcist because she won't watch it she hates that movie like she's terrified of it that's Um, that's funny you say that because Nicole mentioned about my list. She goes, are you making a list this year? And I'm like, yeah, at some point. She goes, okay, well, the difference is this year I want input. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so I, I, I showed Sam the list, and she looked at it, and she goes, uh, I, I'll look at this later. She's like, why are you doing this so early? It's only, like, July. And now it's, like, mid-September, about to be mid-September, and I haven't finished it yet. But, I think uh, July is usually <laughs> when we make our lists. Yeah, well, the only thing that I want to do I know is that I'm going to um, try to coincide watching Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills with when Halloween ends hits Peacock. Like I want to do like the, the the two films. And remember when we stayed up to like 3 in the morning to watch Godzilla vs. Kong? Yeah. That kind of thing. Like, you know, but, but I feel like we'll see the movie in theaters. But then like I'm going to maybe like probably watch 2018 and Kills at home and then go to the theater to watch. But either way, I'm going to try to time Either way, I'm going to time it. So I, I get to watch like the trilogy in a row. That's that's the only thing I know for sure is going to happen that's, this year. That's, that's what I did with uh, Kills. I oh. watch I watched the original, and then eighteen, and then I watched, and then the next day I did Kills. Yeah, and you know something? It's something that's really funny. Um, I was thinking, and I remember I gave Halloween Kills a better rating. I said I liked it more than Halloween 2018, and I'm not saying that I take that back, but going back on it now, I will say that regardless of what I think is the better movie, Halloween 2018 is 100% the more rewatchable one. Like, that's the one when I want to watch one. I'm like, I'm going to put that one on. I never pick kills over that one. Like, it's just funner, and like Michael coming back and putting the mask on, there's something about that. That's and just... with kills, I feel like every time I watch it, it gets to the hospital scene, and I go... Fast forward. Oh, shit. There you go again. That's your Dr. Sartain of the new yeah. film. But even I watch that happen because it's not dragged out. But just that, like, hospital scene's just way too dragged out. Why? Does it make you cry? Yeah, that's... Yeah, I get scared. <laughs> you get scared? Nah, it's just every time I'm like, man, it's going to be, like, what's it, like, ten minutes? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not dealing with this. Let me get back to Michael. Yeah, I don't, like, don't want to see some... I don't want to see Bull get bullied. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, at the end, no, we do not have our Halloween list. <laughs> yeah, that's a big no. All right, now let's uh, get into our review of Speak No Evil. Uh, you ever see a horror movie that makes you want to scream at the screen out of anger? Not because the movie was bad but because you want to actually cause a character in the film physical harm. A movie, it should either scare you or disturb you. A horror film, that is. This one definitely disturbs you. You're not going to get any jump scares out of this one, but you will be chilled to your core. There's something about foreign films that take you a step further than you're willing to go. If you're a fan of films like Vam and Funny Games, then Speak No Evil is a film that you'll thoroughly enjoy. This is a really dark film, and our guest today, who we'll get to uh, in a short bit, Christian, had uh, not done anything like this before. 
Christian started off as an actor, and he got his breakthrough in 1993 with the Danish film Smuck Dreng, which uh, translates to Beautiful Boy. And uh, it was a controversial film about a runaway youth who joins a group of uh, prostitutes. Um, But since then, Christian has had over 40 acting credits to his name, and he's directing now, too. His first feature film, Parents, uh, and then A Horrible Woman in 2017, uh, his directorial efforts show that he's compelled by characters, and if you've seen his past films, you'd see that they've prepared him for his newest film, Speak No Evil. Speak No Evil is Christian taking his character studies and putting the pedal to the metal. And Speak No Evil is a 2022 psychological horror film. It's co-written by brothers Christian and Mads uh, Taftrup. And it's directed by Christian. It's about a Danish family who visits a Dutch family they meet on holiday. Supposed to be this idyllic weekend, and it slowly starts to unravel as the Danes try to stay polite in the face of unpleasantness. (laughs) Face of unpleasantness, that's the one way of putting it. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it's... There's so much I want to talk about, but we just don't want to ruin this film. We can't, yeah. Uh, Bjorn and Louise, played by... Morthrin Burian and Sitzel Slemkoch, respectively, are a couple from Denmark who are on holiday with their daughter Agnes, played by Leva Forsberg. They spend their vacation in Tuscany, and uh, during their stay, they quickly become friends with Patrick and Karen, played by Fea Van Hute and Karina Smolders, a Dutch couple, and their son, we would say Abel, but they, they, they pronounce it Abel. Abel, yeah. Abel. Are, are, are you, are you going to start throwing those at Abel every once in a while? Are you going to start calling them Abel? Abel and Abel. The, the <laughs> Spanish way to put uh, say it is Abel. I've heard Abel, and now I've heard Abel. So, yeah, I can call them any. That's the cool thing. Just call them the same name, just different ways of it. Yo, Abel, come here. He's like, what? <laughs> I mean, he'll still probably come over, right? Yeah, he'll get it. <laughs> and uh, he's played by Marius Dam- Damslev. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, it sounds about right. Uh, months later, Bjorn and Louise receive an invitation from Patrick and Corinne to visit them at their country house in the Netherlands. The hosts appear carefree and adventurous at first, but uh, this reunion takes an unexpected turn with more and more misunderstandings occurring. And uh, the Dutch family begins to test, test the limits of their Danish guests uh, but the Danes are trying to stay polite to their hosts. They feel like, you know, maybe, you know, it's just some misunderstandings. And each time you're just like, no, like, get out, get out. <laughs> I feel like that's the whole, the George, George, Jordan Peele had get out, but like, this is all I thought the whole time. <laughs> and they aren't sure if Patrick and Corinne are just weird or if they're like hiding something more sinister. I mean, when you're watching a horror film, so you can. Somewhat guess where it's going to go, but... Always expect the worst. <laughs> yeah. The situation finally escalates and it becomes clear the hosts are not uh, what we thought them to be or what Bjorn and uh, Luis thought them to be. Uh, some things like Patrick just brushing his teeth while, while Corinne's <laughs> like in the shower. Or I'm sorry, Luis is in the shower. That was just like weird. Like she's in there taking a shower. And he's just like walking around whistling. Makes like, himself too damn comfortable, man. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that was weird. That restaurant scene, I don't want to say anything about that. There's just, like, so much that's, like, infuriating about that and just, like, what the fuck? That, it's, that is, a, like, a Tarantino. That that scene right there, Tarantino will come up later, but that scene right there was, like, a Tarantino scene, like, gone wrong. That was, like, the scene in Glorious Bastards where they're all, like, sitting around talking and then shit just goes sour. 
And, uh, like, also the scene where Patrick just uh, yeets that cup at his kid for not having rhythm. <laughs> yeets? <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I can't say anything else about stuff, like, but I wish I could remember where I saw this review. Uh, if it said this movie will make you not trust anyone you meet, and like Stone Cold always said, DTA. Uh, the trailer for this movie had me hyped, and and, th- and then we got the screener, and like it didn't let me down. Like, yeah, uh, this sure. movie's so tense throughout. I can't really find a complaint with it. Uh, I've it comes out this week on Shutter. I'm definitely gonna watch it again when it drops on Shutter. I'm hoping maybe the subtitles because. We didn't have subtitles with the screener for... When they were speaking in four, uh, different languages, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping maybe there's some some subtitles to give a little more context to maybe what, what's being said. Um, yeah, Phaedra is a tour de force in this movie. Like, the emotions this dude can pull off are amazing. And I'm sure, like, his stage backgrounds probably helped with that. Uh, but, like, it just seemed like he could he could flip a switch. He was bipolar as a mug in this movie. <laughs> Definitely, for sure. But my rating, like, I almost think when I say it, believe it or not, I feel like I might be underscoring it myself, but, like, a 9.2, like, this movie is really good. 9.2 out of 10? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, so first of all, I love the characters because they're real people. The fact that the characters are real people are what makes the movie so disturbing. It can actually happen. These people exist. And I really relate to Bjorn a lot. Like, the way he's disassociated with people, like, how yeah. he claps at his daughter's play, even though he's, like, not watching it, he's lost in his own head. <laughs> and, you know, he uh, he doesn't hide that he's uh, uninterested in what you're saying to him. The one dude's talking to him, and he legit just, like, walks off as the dude's talking to him. You know, and I've been there more times than I can count. But I'm not a pussy like Bjorn. And uh, I, I don't, I, so, like, at the end, like, as I don't feel bad for him or his wife because uh, it's their, their lack of act, their lack to act. Let me, let me, I'm sorry, what? Their lack of acting. <laughs> their, I'm still not saying it Their right. lack to act. Their lack to act. I, yes. Their lack to act is what puts them in the situation and keeps them in it. I think of Ra's al Ghul from Batman Begins. Oh, when, the train. Yeah, it when, was your father's fault. When, 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 when they're sword fighting and yeah. he says your parents' death wasn't yeah, yeah, your yeah, fault. Yeah. He said it was your father's fault because he said, like, you know, the will to act is everything. And, uh. So I don't feel bad for our uh, protagonist in the end, um, uh, but man, Patrick is a cock. He was so aggressive with the son, like you said, when he eats the <laughs> he eats the cup. I mean, he's a real piece of shit. And you know me, if I was in a room with him and he was acting like that towards the son, I'd have gotten up and I'd have yeeted him the fuck across the room. I'd have beat his ass, man. Yeah, he, he just yokes him up a couple times. He's such a rude, imposing fucking button pusher. It's insane. Um, and a liar. <laughs> <laughs> and there's but some, he's so charismatic, right? Like you see what you, they like about him when he's late, when when he turns it on, and then you see like. But the thing is, you should just know better after this. After the first time, like go away, you know. But uh, but there's some awkward like awkwardness in the film uh, that that's actually hilarious, like the singing scene uh, in the car and things like that. Like it was like it was an awkward moment, but it was actually kind of hilarious. Um, but uh, this movie is dark, and it goes further than I expected, and that pleasantly su- surprised me. It's not one that you can watch on a daily basis or as like a background movie. It's dark, and it's heavy, and uh, it's it's one watch will do you for a while, and I mean that in the best possible way. 
It's honestly, I think I'd say it's the most beautiful. Put this on the movie poster. It's the most beautiful post. It's the most beautiful. Yeah, put that on the movie poster. My stutter. <laughs> it's the most beautiful movie that I've seen that causes as much dread as it does. I give it a nine out of ten. Um, if I, like you said, I feel like, I, I feel like with the descent with this one. I feel like I'm giving it a nine, but I feel that over time it will have a higher rating, but I don't want to overrate it right now because I really like it. I want to let it let it stew for a little bit yeah. and come back to it and just it, it's probably a ten, but I'm gonna downgrade it now for a nine just so I don't oversell it. Um All right, so uh do you have anything else you wanna say about the movie? Yeah, fucking watch it. <laughs> All right, now let's uh go deeper into the film and talk to the director himself, Christian Taftrup. Today's guest is an actor, screenwriter, and director. After directing some short films, he made his first feature-length film in 2016 with the award-winning Parents. Today we're here to talk about his most recent film, which debuted at the Sundance Film Festival earlier this year. Also, it's going to make its U.S. debut on Shudder on September 15th. Of course, we're talking about Speak No Evil. Thank you, Christian Tradiff, for being high on horror. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, uh, Christian, again, you know, my name's Drew. Nice to meet you. Thank you for being on. Um, I wanted to start off this. Uh, we always start off our interviews by asking our guests if they consume cannabis. So I wanted to ask you, uh, are you a smoker? No, I'm not. Uh, I have a problem with smoke and it's a very physical problem. I cannot inhale. What happens is that I'm coughing so easily. So I've I've tried a lot mm. of times where but I've never really succeeded with cannabis or any other drugs. I drink instead. Well, that's that's a pretty good substitute as well. <laughs> yes. And uh I want to say uh the, the, this is your first foray into the horror genre. Like what made you decide to get involved with this genre? Well, I actually because i thought that i could not do horror i'm not a big horror expert i never watched that many horrors and i think there was a lot of you know cliches in the horror genre that i was very afraid of but i have like this mantra of mine that every time i start a new project i have to go on deep waters i have to try something um, where i'm not i don't feel at home where i'm not so familiar with the material um and, and of course, you have a voice. And, and I come from a world where I do did a lot of satire. I did a lot of, you know, family drama and always with, you know, some humor to it. But I thought that would be fun to maybe combine some of the things where I feel comfortable with, a, you know, a field where I'm more new to the subject so i immediately thought that horror would be like the, the worst thing i could do and and i must admit it took me a while i struggled a little bit but when i kind of got into the conventions of horror it was such a liberating thing for me to write on that all the conventions and i took actually i just took what i could use and then i threw away what i could not use so um it took me some time but uh I must say that it has been really fun to write a horror film. Well, uh, you've acted, written, and directed. Of the three, which do you think you prefer the most? Well, I I started out as an actor, and that is also what I did for twenty, yeah, twenty five years almost since I was a child. But I've always I always been writing, and I've always had this secret dream of 
of one day becoming a, a, a director. And and I've been very aware of that. And and it's recently, you know, the last seven or ten years I I start getting more, you know, you know, access to it. And I did three movies and three shorts. And I must say that this is the funniest job in the world and it's what excites me the most it's also what frustrates me the most because you know writing a film a good film and 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 not just writing it but directing it and promoting it and you know also in a social way gathering all these people it's really tough but but you can't compare it to acting i think acting you just you're a part of something and as a director you you have responsibility for everything so i i, I feel this is really you know my big dream coming true and I, if i had to choose i i would not doubt that i i would definitely use my the rest of my life trying to do more movies awesome yeah that's awesome and uh, uh the film premiered as i said at sundance in january and uh recently uh in july at the uh probably going to mispronounce this bunchen international fantastic film festival uh where you won best director um have you enjoyed the festival circuit Oh yeah, I have. Um, I mean, we, I, I, I wanted to go to a lot of festivals with this film. I and and because we had such a, I mean, you have a great start when you go to Sundance, but of course, as you know, the event was cancelled uh, physically, so it was more like an online festival. So I was a little desperate about yeah. <laughs> going out into the world and meeting the audience. And we had a few festivals during the summer, and we'll have a lot during the fall. And you know, I always enjoy that. It's such a privilege to travel around the world and meet audience and present your movie. And what I really discover is if you make something that is a little bit universal, that it a lot of different people from different parts of the world really connects to it. There are no big differences. Of course, if you, you meet a German or Belgium audience, they, they, are, they are very loud and they have a lot of comments. And, <laughs> and in the, the audience in Korea was, you know, to, it was totally silence from the first to the last minute. But they had the same questions and the same reflections upon the film. So what you really discover is that, and that is also what you aim for as a director, to make something that, a lot of people can relate to not just a specific local place but that's something that is very human and existential and reaches out to all parts of the world and i really experienced that with this film i didn't know that in the beginning i thought it was a very local scandinavian problem it described but it is a very human thing what this film is about so it's been a great thing to to discover that many different people actually felt the same way watching it and that is, of course, discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I have to say that, um, I, I, yeah, uh, John and I felt the same way, discomfort. And I wanted to say that uh, Shudder uh, sent us this film you know, early as a screener. And uh, I wanted to say from John and I's both, we wanted to say that uh, this is by far, Christian, no joke, this is by far the best Shudder original that we have ever seen. Like oh, any movie you. that they've ever sent us, this is the best one. We were blown away. <laughs> we were blown oh, the hell away. Like, seriously. Oh, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, you're... You're very welcome. I, I couldn't believe how good it was. I really couldn't. 
You know what I mean? Like it's, it's such a solid film. And uh, uh, Dread Central said that uh, "Speak No Evil" was an introvert's worst nightmare, and they were right. Uh, I'm an introvert, and I can relate to Bjorn <laughs> to a degree uh, the way he feels. You know, um, you hit that spot on. So I have to ask you, from an introvert seeing that in film, how accurate that was portrayed by Bjorn, you hit it spot on. So are you an introvert as well, or do you know someone that gave you the inspiration for the character of Bjorn? Well, uh, well, yeah. In in many ways, I'm introvert. I'm not. I if you meet me, I wouldn't. You wouldn't think I'm an I'm introvert person. I mean, I I have a lot of you know social. I'm very social. Have a lot of friends, and I like to talk and laugh and all that. But but on a, on a deeper level, on a more existential level, I feel introvert. Mm-hmm. And and of course, I wanted to have a take on modern masculinity. And I thought, especially when I watched a lot of American mainstream films, that the hero is always, you know, a superhero in the end. He, he starts out as a normal family guy and then he meets some kind of evilness and then suddenly he can fight and shoot and, you know, run through the forest and save his own family. And, and many movies are like that. And I, you know, I looked at myself and I looked at my friends right. and I thought in real life, many people are not like that. I mean, many people live very civilized, privileged lives and, and, and we are not heroes. And suddenly if we meet violence or bad people in our life, we, many of us has a tendency to just freeze or try to run not to fight back that's a very very difficult thing to do if you meet some sort of a superpower and and i wanted to describe that feeling i mean my life is not filled with conflict of course inner conflicts and conflicts with relationships and all that but maybe i told that story many times but some of the most masculine thing i've done in my relationship i have two children was to find you know my my girl's an, an, a rabbit my toy rabbit and i i look for that rabbit every time she loses it in different parts of the world and i feel very masculine when i find it and that is of course a boost but if that kind of guy meets you know a dark tall stranger at night what would you do if you just i used to pick up rapids and that was just a scary thought for me because i'm a very normal ordinary guy living a very nice life and i'm not used to that you know meeting evilness or bad people every day in my life so i'm introvert in that sense that if i met something that you know would really demand something extra of me uh what would i do and i think i would freeze i would not believe that it is actually happening and all that and i know a lot of people in my surroundings that are just like that so when you're in your comfort zone i mean i'm i'm extrovert but if i'm not in my comfort zone i can you know hide and and sneak away like a lot of other people i guess yeah, I think everybody's kind of like that when they're uncomfortable. Everybody kind of becomes introverted. Yeah, I think. And so. uh, the uh, the Danish title, which I won't even try because I'm gonna, I would butcher it terribly. Uh, according to Google, it roughly translated to uh, the word "guest." Was there a reason to change the title uh, for the American audience to speak no evil? Actually, it's based on a misunderstanding because I never liked the title "Guests." It's it's it was a working title. We had 
uh, because okay. there is some distribution that wanted a Danish title. But I, before the opening, I just uh, said, let's just keep Speak No Evil. And then IMDb never erased it. So people think <laughs> that the film is called The Guests, but we never used it in any of our material. Uh, it, it, it's it, For me, there is only one title, and that is Speak No Evil. It was a hard title to find, but it's the only title I could come up with that kind of you know reflects the theme of the film mm -hmm. in a in a more of course intellectual way you have to think about it but it actually means something it's an old japanese saying about in in avoiding try to avoid evilness and try to to turn the blind eye to thing so so it, it has something to say that's about the movie itself but the guests were never something i liked so yeah it doesn't exist in my world <laughs> fair enough <laughs> yeah and uh and co and COVID nineteen affected your shoot, and how much uh, did that disrupt the filming? Oh, a lot. I mean, I thought about it that you, you you're making a film that should describe like a nightmare, and then the what happens to you while shooting that nightmare is an even bigger nightmare. <laughs> so, yeah. so we uh, <laughs> it took like it took years to do this film. It took a year to shoot it because we were. We, we were stopped like four times. We had nine days of shooting and then we had to wait four months. Then we have 10 days of shooting, had to wait four months. And it was, we started in January. We oh, ended wow. the shootings in December. And and it, we had a lot of issues about, you know, it's seasons. We have to shoot. It should look like winter, but we had to shoot in the summer. And suddenly we had to travel. Some of the actors were afraid of traveling. We had to use stand-ins. And, and I also had to do a little bit of rewriting because we lost a lot of money. And I actually also changed the ending while we had this break. And that was for the better. So I think it, it became another film because of COVID, but, and today I'm happy about it, but, but it was exhausting. And it's also a hard film to live with for so long, because as you, as you mentioned yourself, it's a very uncomfortable experience and it wasn't uncomfortable to make it, but to live with that material for many years has, has been hard on me and I've been <laughs> very exhausted. And I think the next film I have to make has to have a more happy end or <laughs> something. <laughs> And uh, you actually mentioned about the end and change, and there was, I, I did want to ask you, was there anything else uh, from that time period that you had to stop shooting that you feel like helped make the project better? No, I mean, the script was really much there, but we had some issues with the ending. There were also a lot of people who thought that the ending should be something else. I mean, some people thought it should be a happy ending, and some people thought it was too much and all that, and I... I never shot it in any other way, but I tested it in, in different drafts. And and of course, you know, it's a very radical ending. But my brother and I, who with whom I wrote the script, we had this pact between us from the beginning. We shaked hands on that we should do the most disturbing film in Danish film history. That was our first agreement with each other. And 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 that was a good thing because we, at the end we just looked at each other and said, remember it's a disturbing film, so let's have this this very radical ending. So during writing the scripts we, we had a lot of doubt, but when we were there, I, I just changed it a little bit. And then we had this COVID break and then it, I changed some more, but it was for the darker things. I I took away all hope and all that, and and 
And sometimes I think it's a good thing when you don't just shoot for seven or eight weeks, but you have these breaks. So you, you, you take your time to think and rethink and you also shot some of the material so you can go back and look at that. And we actually ended with the stop beginning. So I could do a lot of changes in the, the beginning because I knew how the rest of the material was edited. And that is a that is a chance you never really get. But because of COVID, we, we took it like piece by piece. So I got more wise on what the film was actually about and how the tone should be. So I think that I'm very satisfied with the film. And I also think it's because it took so long time that I could really dive into it and make it you know as clear as possible in what it was trying to say. Well, I, that makes total sense. And uh, I, I wanted to say that um, the lines, uh, why are you doing this? Because you let me. Uh, that sends chills down my spine. Like even thinking about it, hearing it again, like that just sent chills down my spine. Why are you doing this? Because you let me. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that's that's horror in and of itself. Um, and yeah. uh, Speak No Evil creates a lot of uh, tense and awkward moments. Mm. And uh, Patrick is quite a manipulator. Uh, he reminded me actually of Marie in your prior film, A Horrible Woman. Uh, your style of telling a story reminds me of Michael Haneke's Funny Games. I know you said you're not a horror fan. I don't know if you've ever seen Funny Games, but of it's course. kind of similar in the sense of control. Uh, so what is it that you like about writing uh, characters that manipulate others? Well, I, as many other directors or that are into art house movies, I think we all like um, things that are uncomfortable and awkward, and maybe also work with, you know, tabooish stuff. Um, I think many films have a tendency to look at look away where it really hurts, and I like films that kind of stays in something that is unpleasant but truth that has a truth to it, something we won't admit as human beings. And we are not all that good and perfect and wonderful all the time. Mm -hmm. We also have, you know, dark sides and things we are not proud of. And I, I like that cinema can kind of take that up to the screen and we can recognize ourselves, not as only, you know, as full human beings with good and bad sides. And then, of course, I, I look at the world and you see things. And now you mention a horrible woman. And I've been in, in many, many relationships with horrible women. And it was not to be offensive or so with Same. women. But, but, but you know, I, I, I never really understood their psyche. And I it was more about that I was writing my diary before I did that movie about how can I stay with this person for five years? Why don't I leave? Why does she do this, this, this? And I can't com compete. I can't beat it. I mean, she's just more clever than me. She's better in talking feelings than I am. And I'm, 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 I'm losing myself and I'm doing everything she says. What is it about? So it's more out of curiosity and questions of life where you, what you just don't understand okay. instead of just being, you know, offensive. And in the same way, I met a lot of manipulative people and uh, they are charming, but they're also like, you know, dangerous. And I think that's nice to put up on a screen because that's as an audience, that's what we want to see. So it's, it's, it's more like questions I have upon people I met in life. And I try to portrait them a little bit in my characters. And then of course, I'm often the lead uh, that, that is too vague to stand up against it too vague to speak out and too vague to take care of myself and i think that's a very recognizable thing and that's what speak no evil is also about that you don't say stop in time we have all been in relationships where we wanted to get out of it 
before or taking jobs we didn't like and all that. And that is also a speak no evil moment that you look away, you ignore it, you think it's your fault and all that. And and the film was a more also attempt to, to have a warning to people. Like, listen to yourself more, stand up for yourself and uh, not for other people. Don't try to please other people so much. I think it's a very, very human thing to do. And that is what I recognize in myself. So yeah, I met a lot of bad people and of course I'm also bad myself, but <laughs> why did I in get involved with so much misery in life? That That is something I, I want to discover in the films. That makes sense. And I think we've all been in your situation. Mm -hmm. we, we There's a lot of us that, so to speak, haven't pulled out in time and a lot of scenarios and it put ourselves in uncomfortable situations where you go, damn, if I had just taken control, yeah. it would have never gotten that way. Um, and, uh, you know, you always see articles on social media and in magazines about how, you know, how not to be an introvert and how to conform and be social. And Bjorn and Louise follow that. They, 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 they try to be social and, and conform. And it turns out that they should have just listened to their gut. Are you saying that introverts should trust their instincts? Well, it's stopple, I mean, because... This is a film that deals a lot with with social behavior, with, with social rules and norms. And I think we're many of us are very good at that, especially in the in, in very privileged societies like in the Western world. We know the game. We 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 wanna we wanna be a part of the group ever since we was a child. Somebody told us how to eat and to say thank you and all that. These are all social norms. So we are actually if we're introvert or not, most of us are really good at that. And I think that's important because it's also a way to connect and make the world go around. But sometimes I think we have this tendency to, to sacrifice ourselves because we think it's so important to please other people because society taught us that we are dictated by social behavior and not to listen to our human nature and i think this this film is very much about how far away we moved from our instinct how far away we moved from you know human nature and we have all these alarm clocks we we kind of know it but we try to say to ourselves oh this might be just misunderstandings and oh, i'm also wrong sometimes because we're so dictated by you know being a good person that like society wants us to be and, and that is what i'm critic about that we we don't have the guts to stand outside the group because we get so ashamed i mean if 10 people mean something and i'm the only one raising my hand and saying oh i, I don't mean that i mean something else then people would look at me and i would feel a little bit you know like an outsider and i i, I wish that people right. would have more guts to do that and, and especially nowadays, I don't know how it is in the States, but in Denmark, what's going on right now is an extreme form of political correctness. I mean, nobody wants to be offensive towards anybody. And that means that people don't dare to speak up about their opinions anymore. And if people did something bad 20 years ago, I mean, not even that bad just looked at a girl at the wrong way, they get fired from their jobs. And I think these kind of things has come to an extreme because we don't recognize ourselves anymore also as animalistic and dark behavior. And I'm not saying we should go and be offensive to other people, but we also have to be honest about what is a human being? I mean, life hurts and you do wrong things, but you should forgive each other and you should talk about things. You should not just, you know, judge each other. And that the film is very much about that too, that we have to look darkness into the eyes instead of closing our eyes. So that is something I'm very, very, you know, keen on telling because that is what I see right now in, in my society. And I think it's wrong. 
Uh, everything you said, you were, you didn't know how it was in the States. Everything you said could easily apply in the United <laughs> States right now. Okay. There's, if, if you said something wrong on Twitter 10 years ago, that might've been socially acceptable back then. Yeah. Now that it's, we know it's not socially acceptable. Now people still want to go back and apply the same standards that we have today. The stuff from back then, or, yeah. you know, that's, was it gone, gone with the wind? There was a whole movement to like pull part of that movie because it was offensive, and we're like, mm, yeah, yeah. So, so, so the whole political correctness thing—it's also, yeah, it's a problem. I, here I as think well. it's a problem. You also censor like art, like you tore down statues and paintings from the, you know, from the Middle Age. You don't want to show at museums anymore. But why? I mean, I can look at that without agree with it i can actually learn something about history so i i think it's a very exactly. it's a slippery slope and i think you know we are better than that and that is also what this film is about and uh Feha's patrick is so good to me uh that was i feel like the most important role that needed to be filled in that film he's so charming in the beginning and you just needed someone to make that character believable. Uh, did you two collaborate much on his role, or was it pretty much kind of straightforward in the script? Well, it was. We didn't we didn't speak so much about it because Fetja is a Dutch actor. I'm Danish, so I didn't know him at all. But he's a very famous actor in Holland, in the Netherlands. And when you deal with very very experienced actors and they are cast well for the part. You can also, as a director, talk too much. So it's more about guiding him down the right path. And he was such a great guy to work with in real life. He's so sweet and so professional. And the only thing we talked about really was that he liked that he was not a real person, that he was, you know, a devil or a demon, but were, were acting out as a person and he was brilliant at it but he thought that he was a character that was kind of larger than life and i really liked that because i didn't want to explain why they were evil i just wanted to say that evilness exists in the world and this is how they look like so with 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 the dutch the two dutch actors that are very professional we uh we just have very very small little little conversation and then just great communication about it but with the Danish actors, they're not very experienced in front of a camera. They're both from theater and did a lot of that. With them, I had to communicate much more and also do a lot of workshop uh, before the before the shootings and all that. So it, it, it depends on who you work with. And I think as a director, you have to communicate even on the same set in, in very different ways, uh, depending on who you work with. And this film is a good example of that. Right on. And uh, I wanted to ask you, um, why do you think, you know, being the writer, being in the mindset, why do you think Louise eats the roast and the meat if she's a vegetarian? Why doesn't she just turn it down and say, no, I don't eat that? I mean, some, some people would have done that, uh, definitely. But if Louise was a character who would do that, then the film would end. Then there was no conflict. And I think right away from the beginning <laughs> of the film, these two Dutch devilish persons they're looking for people who doesn't want to go into conflict and Louisa is a person that have a very you know she's very close to her own intuition but she's also very very focused on good behavior and and be nice to other people and she think it's awkward if you create a conflict and I think it's very, very common, especially when you're guests at somebody's house, especially when you don't know them, that 
for everything in life, you want to stay nice and polite. You don't want to create a conflict. And if you go to somebody's house and they've been cooking all day, I mean, maybe he forgot I told him half a year back that I'm a vegetarian. Maybe that's my fault. To avoid any kind of bad feelings, I, I'll just taste it. That's easier. But the film, of course, says that maybe that's wrong. Maybe <laughs> that is the first really wrong thing she does. And from there, it's get worse and worse. So that is the theme in one scene. But I think it's a very human thing uh, to lie for yourself, to stay polite. And uh, that's her problem. That's why she eat it. It's easier to eat it than create a conflict. To say, oh, I know you've been cooking that roast all day, okay. but I don't eat that. I just need the vegetables. Then you would be maybe impolite as guests. And I think that dictates, dictates, dictates her more than her gut feeling. Okay. And uh, I wanted to say I loved Patrick's ran on cheese, and I didn't know that that was true. <laughs> I actually like went and looked it up, and I was like... Does the Netherlands really produce that much cheese? I just thought it was such a random thing to throw in there. Like, what what made you decide to just kind of like throw that fact in there? Well, I I write with my brother, uh, Mass Tafdrop, and we we create the story together and all that. And then he writes some scenes, I write some scenes, and we give it back and forth until it's there. And and it's actually his monologue about cheese. And, and what I like that we do when we write is that if we have a strict story, we don't have to stay so strict to the plot all the time. We can also make a little randall and go out in some craziness. And, and he just thought that a monologue about cheese would be funny because this guy who seemed like such a charming man, he's suddenly sitting there just talking random about cheese. And then he looked it up on the internet. And I didn't know that. I don't think he even knew it. And then he discovered how important Dutch cheese are <laughs> and that the Dutch people are a little <laughs> bit offended by that, that the German cheese and the and the French cheese gets, gets more, you know, recognition. So we just thought with Patrick, he was very funny to write because he could do anything. He could say anything. He could be one minute very charming, the next minute very rude. And most characters are not like that. You have to build it up. But with him, we could shift all the time. So I just love that. I think he wrote it in five minutes, and it's been in the script ever since. I loved it. It it reminded me of something Tarantino is very good at. Just, you know, great lines for, you know, ten, ten minutes of something that is actually very stupid, but also extremely funny. So... I think we were a little bit inspired by that. I like that. I can totally see the Tarantino in that, just kind of like a, a, a random rant. But for some reason, the acting and the way it's being told, you're still invested. Even though you're like, why are you talking about cheese? You're still like yeah. into it and want to know what's going on. Yes. <laughs> um, so back ba back into the uh, psychology for a second. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, you had mentioned, you know, getting the rabbit for your daughter and everything. So I wanted to ask you, why does Bjorn go back to the house for the stuffed toy Ninus? Like, why do you think his opinion on the situation with Patrick and Karen is so different from his wives that he's willing to turn back? Well, I have many answers for that because, well, first of all, it's a genre thing. And that is what I loved about writing a horror. You could never do that turn in a more realistic drama. But because you have the Sangra conventions, you always have to have a scene where you scream at the screen and you say, no, no, don't do that. I wouldn't have done that. But if he, if he succeeds doing that, then there will be no more film. So, so that's a very, that they take stupid choices, right? But for the right reasons. And then I also think that, that understood <laughs> at, at, in, a, in a psychological way, Bjorn, he's not finished being there. 
he actually liked being there. He's not going there as Luisa because he wants to be polite. He's going there because he wants to go on an adventure. And he's attracted to this guy, Patrick, because he's rude, because he's primitive, because he's masculine. He didn't want to go home. So it's also a perfect excuse for going back and maybe meet them again. And the third thing is that that's his way to be masculine. In the beginning of the film, he also finds the rabbit. He meets Patrick and Patrick said, that was very heroic of you. So it's also a way to prove that he's a man. If you don't fight or shoot guns and all that, you can always find bunnies. And that is what he's doing. So these were my three reasons to keep that scene. But I can tell you, we had many, many uh, thing, people who didn't like that. And when we did our test screenings, they wanted me to cut that out. And, you know, that was not right for a guy. And he would never do that in real life. But I think it's much more human that people would ad admit. And, of course, you can't take that away. It's such a turning point in the film. So, yeah, I kept it. And, and I, I actually like it. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad scene at all. I think that the only way for me that I wouldn't have liked the scene is if like he and his wife were on the same page. But the fact that she isn't on the same page, you you kept that consciousness yeah. in the scene where you have like her, Louise, she's the audience. Like she doesn't want to go back and then you have him who's willing to go back. So I think the conflict of the scene works. I don't think it's a bad scene at all. It just made me want to know like why would he yeah. not want to be on the same page with his wife? Yeah, you know that, what I mean? We, yeah, yeah, and, you um, need to have different uh, Yeah, you need to have different, you know, characters with with conflict in, in in every scene so so they couldn't be on the page same page i guess right and uh it's it's aggravating watching the decisions that bjorn and louise make you know uh they literally lay down and accept their fate and i feel that there's a lot of things that they don't talk about that they should have would you agree that lack of communication is their downfall as a couple yeah totally i mean this is a couple who lived a very good life they have money they they have a beautiful daughter they're doing all the right things but it's also very much about behavior and and i think the problem is that they don't really feel anything anymore i mean they they, they don't they're not physical towards each other they're nice towards each other they don't argue they don't talk about deeper things they life is just passing and it's a little bit like a charade or a, yeah and they act a little bit because it's dangerous. It's dangerous to take conflicts. And I, you know, I also been with my girlfriend for eight years. And when you have two children, suddenly you can also become a little bit stranger to each other because there is this mm -hmm. everyday life. And this, a lot of things about having children is very practical. And then you, what you miss sometimes is feeling something again. And that's when you'd go on a weekend with your girlfriend without the kids and suddenly you rediscover, you know, that you were lovers once and in love and all that. And I think that's also a very human thing. And this is about a couple who that, that's there what, where they are in life. They forgot how to feel. They forgot to feel anything. And, and of course, this film is not a happy end. But I, I wanted to, to create a, an ending that was, of course, brutal and dark, but also very poetic and about, I don't want to spoil anything, but, but that is about a, a couple who are actually closer to each other in the end than in the beginning. So they have some kind of development towards them. And that's why we made this, this ending very yeah, naked, I guess I can spoil, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and honest. Um, so yeah, they're actually, you know, rediscovering something in themselves and in their relationship that was a, a very important for me to tell that 
Yeah, and, uh, yeah, not 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 to ruin anything, but those final images with the music from uh, Soon Colster was just perfect. It's haunting, but it's also beautiful. Like, and the music throughout the entire film is amazing. It's very well scored. How how did Soon join the project? Well, it's funny because Soon is my childhood friend, and and we were in the same school, and then I didn't see him for twenty years or something, and I met him you know, randomly on the street. And that was when I was editing my first film. And he said, oh, I just started, I just finished my education as a film composer. And then because we had no money doing that, and I said, why don't you want to make the music? We have no money, but you can make it. And then we started to have a very close friendship again. And now he did music for the three features I did. And, And so when you collaborate with somebody, you know Red very well. Uh, and you know, we like each other very much and we have a very honest process and we, we develop, uh, you know, we have a process together. I want to make everything film with him if, if possible. So, so I think it's a very close relationship and it's not that it's easy. I mean, we discussed the score for this film many, many, many times and a lot of months of working with it. It was not easy to, to get the right in the right direction. But if we work with somebody, you can call 24 hours if you want to. That's just so, so liberating. And that's why it works, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I wanted to say that uh, that the fact that it's funny that you know you had said that you weren't a horror fan growing up, and that's why you wanted to do a horror film because there are people like that who do horror and they completely fuck it up horribly. Like you can tell, oh, they're not a <laughs> horror fan. But it's like with your film, the the fact that the obvious and stereotypical things that you'd expect from a movie like this to happen don't happen. Mm-hmm. That's what makes Speak No Evil so damn intense. I just wanted to say, great job. Well, thank you. It was also something I discovered because in the beginning of the, of the, in the first drafts, we tried to write more jump scares and supernatural elements, and I was not good at that. I mean, it was just, you know, our arms coming out of the wall and, and eyes in the, in, the, in the ceiling and all that kind of <laughs> cliches. And, and then one day we just realized if we take all that away, we just have the relations left. And that's what the real scare is. I mean, horror between people. Uh, that's something you can relate to. So it became more like an intimate horror film than a supernatural horror film. Because I, I sometimes feel when you go out from a horror film, you're not really scared because I don't think I'm going to see a ghost or a vampire or that I will be invaded by some some aliens from space. I mean, I know it's an adventure. And that's also very funny. And I like that. But, but if you go home at night and you think, I could have been, I've been in that situation. If I'm not aware, I could end up and I, I could meet a sweet guy at work and maybe he's, a, he's total fucked up. And so I thought that this, <laughs> more, this could be more relatable in a way I thought was very effectful working with horror. <laughs> yeah, and I forget where I saw it, but uh, what, what, another review I saw said this movie will make you distrust all the strangers you ever meet. And to... <laughs> To a to a point that's kind of <laughs> true, because like in the beginning, even even though I had seen that before, like with Patrick, you're like, yeah, I know this isn't going to end well, but he's just so charismatic and he's just such a he comes off as such a nice guy. You can see why why, why somebody would them. get wrapped up in that. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I this we just had a holiday break in Denmark, and I had so many messages from friends who were out traveling and they met some Dutch people and they said, Oh, now, now you ruined our holiday. But my advice, advice to people, of course you can meet strangers and socialize with them. You just 
don't ever have to see them again. That's that's the problem. Uh, so so yeah, it's it's funny when you do films. If you take a situation, then everybody can relate to, and then you kind of twist it and make it the upside down. Then you got people in your hands, and that's what cinema can do. And of course, it's only a film. I don't know if how people's lives are, but um, yeah, <laughs> I like that people are scared about meeting strangers. <laughs> And uh, you've, you did such a good job combining like the social commentary with like psychological horror. Uh, what message do you want viewers to take from the film? <laughs> well, I, I want them to be more, you know, brave in listening to their gut feeling and to speak up about things that they don't like. And you can do that in a very honest and nice way. But on one level, you will you will spare yourself for many, you know, bad couples dinners and many bad relationships. <laughs> but on a deeper level, you can actually also save your own lives. So I think it's a little hint, a little warning about also taking care of yourself and believe that intuition instead of just being so focused on on social behavior. And uh, now, now that you've directed a horror film, do you want to direct more in the future? I don't know. I... I've been trying to figure out a new horror idea, but I, I think it's kind of difficult. And I think the right way to work is go places where you feel some kind of energy. But but no no matter what I come up with, I think I will still work with this feeling on, on, of uncom, um, un, un, in comfort and uncomfortableness and unpleasantness and things where you actually want to look away, but you also have to look because it, 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 it tricks, triggers something. So I think I work with more twisted universes, but I guess the, the material I'm working on now has a more happy comedy tone than this one. But still, I like to get silly ideas that you kind of take seriously. So you have the emotions underneath, but but maybe in a universe or in a conflict that, that, that there is an something new to it so you don't just do the same film all over again so yeah I, I like to take chances but I'm starting actually to write an American film and and that is something in that I'm you know in Denmark people say don't go to the US to make film because every European who does that it never really succeeds but I think it's tempting also because I'm not I'm aware of you know I know a lot of Americans and a lot of a lot of American movies but I'm not from there. I have only been there five or six times. So how would it look like if I was actually writing something for the American scene? So I have a lot of fun doing that at the moment, but I know it's a hard game. I don't know if it will succeed, but we're writing it in English, directly in English, which is kind of fun. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm trying now. And, uh, even if you never make another horror film again, this one is is good enough, and I and just something that they, I feel like you can really be proud Thank of. Thank you. And uh, do you have any other up, 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 uh, Excuse me. <laughs> do you have any other upcoming projects? Uh, no, I have I have three things I'm writing on two two more domestic things, and and then a more U.S. project. But we just started sitting down really actually writing it uh, two weeks ago since this film i've been a little bit exhausted and i've been my mind has been a little bit you know empty uh so just during this summer break we had i just started out you know fleshing out ideas that i believe in so i i think maybe i would stand there again in in one or two years let's see how it works and goes but uh 
I, I would definitely try to make another movie as soon as I can now that I have some breakthrough. I mean, I've, I've been making movies since I was 18, and this is the first movie that has some, you know, bigger attention. So it would be stupid to, to wait too long. So I'm trying to write fast, and I just got started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're writing, as I always say, if you're writing, you always have a project you're working yeah, on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, where, where can people keep up with you on social media? Well, um, I'm on Instagram, and I'm on Facebook. Uh, that's just my name, Christian Teftrup, uh, with a C-H, my first name. So I'm very easy to find, but... They will mostly find pictures of my children and then a, a little bit of commercial for, for my films. So, but feel free to follow me. And we, we want to thank you again for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you about this film. It, it, it's really, it, it's, there's not many movies in the psychological realm that I'll see and immediately go, oh, I want to rewatch that again, especially something so dark. But like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm itching to watch it again already. It was, <laughs> thank you. It was, it was very enjoyable. Uh, thank you so much. Yes, I, I really appreciate pr- appreciate that. Thank you so much. It means a lot. And hopefully uh, we'll get to talk to you in the future. Yeah, remember me in uh, thank five you so to much, ten Christian. years. No, let's see how long it takes, but thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> thank okay, you. thank you. <laughs> Dang, you just gonna start my wrap up with a cough, huh? I didn't know you started recording, Jeez. man. I'm sorry. Anyway, thanks to all the horror hounds and smokers out there for tuning in. Thanks to Christian Taftrup for joining us today. And uh, yeah, definitely make sure you go check out Speak No Evil on Shutter this week. And uh, next week we're gonna have Ryan Kruger from Friedberry. Friedberry. <laughs> so uh, we'll get that one to you next week. Friedberry is a fucking great movie. Check that shit out too. It's it's I don't it's so hard to describe that movie, but we'll try next week. <laughs> uh, follow us on social media: Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. High on horror four twenty. Emails at high on horror at four high on at high on horror at four twenty. <laughs> That's not right. The email is high on horror four twenty at gmail.com. The website's high on horror.com. Hit us up wherever, whatever. Wherever, whenever. We Let's up. Go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that'll be. <clears throat> Jesus, I fucking <laughs> lost my voice on that one. What the fuck was that? Jesus. We struggle to get out of here. Like, I think that'll about wrap her up. Catch you later. Bye, everybody.